Welcome into the starting 11, 99.1, the sports animal. Will, Les, Chris, Carol, top 11 topics in the world of soccer. Friday nights right now, usually we're on. We're on Thursday because of the uh, Tennessee basketball game against Florida tomorrow night. Chris, a uh, little lonely here. Now, you said just being the two of us. I know, just me and you again. Isn't that nice, Will? Hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no guests this week, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, we can hold the fort. Absolutely. Yeah. A little more intimate gathering, if you will, here on the starting 11 this week. Here's how it works. It's fast, it's furious, top 11 topics in the world of soccer. When we say that, we mean that. We're going to get through 11 topics in about one hour of show. So uh, buckle your, your seatbelt and we'll get to it. All right, um, Chris, let's start it out. Point number one, how did Manchester United end City's unbeaten streak this weekend? Who saw that coming after Man United's form and City's form? Eh? It looks like that. Man United have just got, uh, or City bring out the best in Man United. They did the double over them last year. And um, like I say, who'd have thought it? But how did they do it? I think, unlike a lot of teams, they didn't show them too much respect. Or they didn't show them any respect, quite honestly. They, they, they defended well. They competed all over the field. Which, in comparison to when, you, just for example, Wolves a week earlier or so, Wolves looked scared to death. They dropped back. They let the City play the ball around and eventually they just let them pick them off. Man United didn't do that. Yes, they dropped. Yes, they, they defended well. But when they got the ball, they really went for it. And when Man United won the ball, uh, sorry, when Man City won the ball back, they were kind of over. They were all over them. They didn't just retreat and let Man City have their own way. So it was a solid defence. They competed everywhere. And the fast break threat, as was shown by Luke Shaw's goal, I mean, what a goal that was. Um, yeah, and then the other, of course, the other thing that Manchester City did was was give a penalty away in the first thirty odd seconds, which was which was ridiculous. But um, yeah, and then City, I don't know they get ruffled if they get ruffled by Man United, but they just didn't flow. They didn't they didn't get their attacking game in the in the final third. They just looked tentative and hesitant. It was one of those games where the ball wouldn't drop for them, and and yeah, they just didn't look like um, they just didn't look like scoring. So credit to Man United. Just when you think they're kind of slipping a bit. And as you say, you know, Ollie looks in trouble. Boom! They they pull one out, pull one out like that. It's kind of the way that it works with with Ollie, and it, it's the way it works with you, this United team. About the time, and, and that was the reason I I predicted that they would. I, I predicted a draw for Saturday. Uh, but the reason why was because it they hadn't scored a, a goal in two weeks, and I'm like, well, this is exactly when they'll pull a draw out of their hat and end up uh, catching United, getting a point out of it, and in that unbeaten streak. But they end up getting the win instead. Uh, Jesus with a horrible, horrible penalty. I mean, that was just a terrible penalty for him to give up 35 seconds into the match and no brainer. Of course, that, that was not a VAR issue or questionable call or Man United getting uh, an advantage from the official. That was just him running over a man in the box for no absolutely good reason whatsoever. I also think that to some extent, I, I, I agree with you. And I think to some extent, it's because of the return of some of their players from injury. I think with De Bruyne out there, the guys who had been making plays kind of stepped back and said, okay, we're going to let you make plays instead of playing the way that they had with De Bruyne on the pitch a little bit. And I think they were a little uh, off kilter. I, you look, United took advantage of opportunities. Fernandez, again, that's now 26 goals that he's taken part in and been involved in in 28 matches, which is just incredible for him this year. Um, th that penalty happens. The fullbacks are on both sides. I mean, are playing incredible right now for Manchester United. And they're yeah. a team that looks like they're kind of locked in right now, I think, Chris, for a Champions League spot. 
No one's going to catch City, but they're locked in for a Champions League spot. And, of course, we did see City just blow out Southampton without Danny Ings uh, to kind of make up for it. An angry City team. It'll probably be an angry City team for a few more weeks. But that was a fantastic performance by Manchester United. It really was, and it, it shows what they can do. But the problem they've got is just doing it week after week after week. And defensively, they look, they've looked very shaky. But you're right, those the uh, Wambasaka and Luke Shaw on the outside look look great. Lindelof, Maguire kind of look steady. And like I say, they didn't they didn't give them any respect, Man City at all. And and yeah, City did they did look uh, just shaky going forward. They didn't flow at all. Um, and they were off the game. They were off the game. Now I'm not sure. I don't know. I still don't, not sure if Man United locked him for the top four. I think that's still it's still close up there. It's still tight up for grabs. I, for whatever reason, Man United seemed to raise the game for City, and, and you called it. Yeah, you did. You called it last week. Um, and but they, they can't raise the game for every game they're playing. So I still don't think that they're locked in for top four. Point number two, uh, Tottenham lit up the scoreboard again, 4-1 beating a Crystal Palace. Do you believe Jose will finally allow Spurs to play an attacking style from here? He has to, doesn't he? He's got to. I mean, he'll have some front if he, if he reverts to being negative again because the whole world just is really enjoying how Spurs are playing, how Spurs are attacking. The attacking players that they've got, I mean, Kane, Son, Bale and Mora. And Ali can chip in now as well. He seems to be getting getting more playing time and getting his form back. I, like, I really like Mora, though. I keep as I keep saying, he's sort of underrated and one of those unsung heroes. Bale seems to be um, having his confidence. He's got his confidence back over his injury issues at the moment. That must have been weighing heavy on him. And apparently, um, Mourinho has said as much that it's been more psychological with Bale rather than lack of effort. And, and it's fantastic to see. what I mean, Spurs are fantastic to watch going forward. He, I mean, no one's going to let him, are they, surely? I mean, the, the problem is, and where Spurs fans, I could see, a bit are nervous, is that there's no, no way of really telling him because there's no fans in the ground. And if there were fans in the ground, they'd be letting him know and he'd get the message loud and clear. But I guess you still, you know... I'm not a Spurs fan, but I wouldn't trust him. I wouldn't put my house on the fact that he'd be now 100% going forward and, and try and outscore the opposition. Uh, I could still see him still see him doing it. But surely, surely, with what he's got, with the results, with the success they've got now, um, he's going to keep he's going to keep with the, with that style. I, I think the problem is Jose wants to drop back defensively. He that's how he wants to play. That is his personal preference to play. Uh, it doesn't matter what the uh, what the personnel looks like for a team. We saw they get the first goal early on, the first bail goal against Palace. And then from there, there was about a 20-minute window at the end of the first half where it was back to old Jose, right? It was, we're going to part the bus, we're going to sit back, we're going to let you attack us, and we're just going right. to absorb it. And then once they got right before the half, once they were able to get the equalizer, Palace, you saw, okay, Jose said, okay, fine. And they started pressing. Three of the four goals came off of turnovers created by pressing high. And that's what Tottenham does. Harry Kane, I think I would take him literally over anyone in soccer when it comes to pressing high. He's a monster. He's not the same level that he used to be a couple of years ago because of injuries and things like that. But he's still a monster. And now he, where he, what he is missing by maybe being a step slower than he used to be when it comes to that pressing, he makes up for in his ability to create off of turnovers and things like that. Once you get a ball, you know, get the, uh, the opposing team to turn the ball over, make an interception, something like that, 
get the ball to Kane and he's going to make the play that you need right now. For Bale, I mean, how many of these Bale goals have just been stand in front of the net and watch Harry Kane put it either, either into your forehead or into the foot and he's going to do it. And so, and Bale's done a great job finishing those off and I think that's helped rebuild his confidence. But the, the concern is because it goes against Jose's preferences that at any moment in time, he could revert right back to old Jose. He could revert right back to let's park the bus. I don't think he wants to win a lot of matches 4-2 or anything like that or 3-1. I think he wants to win 2-0, 1-0. And we saw him try to revert back to it against Palace. It burned him quickly. And I think that's the biggest reason why Tottenham would, did come out of the, at the beginning of the second half pressing high, creating turnovers, creating chances, making the most of those chances, letting Kane and Son be able to create. And I, I, even though they have tons of injuries right now, that Tottenham team looks like it's on fire and they, they really could challenge for a top four spot, which just two weeks ago seemed impossible, I think, Chris. Point number three, Liverpool now lost six of six of seven Premier League matches, six straight at home. What's happening to the defending champions in your opinion, Chris? Well, I want to... What a season! What a way to defend your, your title. I think, I think Klopp's made mistakes. So we we know they've had injuries. Van Dijk was the first big injury, but lots of teams have big injuries, and you've got to be able to overcome that. Um, and I think he, I think his biggest mistake was after a few games, he he took out his midfield, he took out Henderson and Fabinho, and put it, put them as centre backs. And so you had a problem at mid, you've had a problem in defence. Now you're solving it by putting your midfield into defence. So now you've got a weakened defence and you've got a weakened midfield. And now the midfield's not performing right. So they're not they're not they're not feeding the the attackers like they like they were as well. So now your now your your attack isn't going so well. So the whole team has just completely fallen apart. And then as week, one week becomes another week, confidence goes. And it's amazing. Psychology of sport, as well as his tactics or, or who he plays where, the psychology, I mean, it's just they look on the floor now when they, when they run out. When they ran out against Fulham the other day, I mean, you could just... Six months ago, Fulham wouldn't have had a prayer. Fulham would have been beaten before it even started, before they started. But now any team that goes out there thinks, hey, you know, we can, we can do this. We can, they're, they're beatable. So completely fallen apart. It's it's very weird, and it just looks like down to a lack of depth in squad. They've relied so much on on the players that won in the league, and last year they had a great run, winning the league. They were injury free. They got lucky uh, because we now know that a couple of injuries and and Liverpool didn't have the depth. Yeah, I, if you look at Liverpool right now, I agree with you on the midfield situation because they, they've not scored multiple goals in a Premier League game since January 28th, and that was that match where Tottenham just dropped back from the beginning of the match and let them fire at will at them, and they still only managed two goals there after with, you know 28 shots, I believe, or something like that that it was. Before that match, you go back to December 19th, since they scored two goals in a Premier League match or more. That's incredible. And I think part of it is that midfield would feed those attackers. You rarely see those attackers create chances on their own. A lot of times, or you would see them create the chances. A lot of what Klopp would do with Liverpool is midfield pushes the ball up. They reverse play to the other side. What's the defense? It kind of rotates towards them. They reverse play. Salah goes to make a play. Mane goes to make a play. Something like that. And they're able to, with their speed, get make a play before the defense could rotate back over and, and, and make a play on them and stop the ball uh, or force them to, to have to pass the ball. So over and over again, I, we've watched Liverpool do that over the last few years, 
But you're right. With weakening the midfield by trying to strengthen that back because of the concern of Van Dyke's injury, I do think that it's led to, you know, weakening two different portions of the game instead of just weakening one portion of the game. And now you're what you're relying on, you're asking – Salah, you're you're asking these guys to go create, and they're not used to creating like this. They're used to being fed, and then they go use their speed and go finish, and that's what they do. And now you're asking them to go be creative players, and I just don't know if they're that. I also question this Liverpool team. I think that it, it mattered so much to, the, to them to be inevitable last year, to be the team that wins the title, because we saw them let their foot off the gas the second they won the title, and they had it clinched up last year. I do think that maybe the endeavor's not there. The heart's not there. The will isn't there for this Liverpool club. And I think they're content right now with what they are. And I, there are a lot of people I know that say, you know, Liverpool, the thing, hey, Mo Salah just wants out at the end of the year. And he's, he, he got a title here. He got a Champions League here. He wants to go somewhere else. And maybe he's not putting in the same effort that, that we thought he might coming into the season. Yeah, maybe so. I don't, I don't know. I think um, I think those those front guys, like you say, if they're not getting the supply, then it's very difficult for them. And maybe it looks like because they're not producing. Maybe it looks like they're not they're not caring or or or, or they've had enough. But I think it just stemming from the back again, the centre of defence was was shaky. That affected Robertson. A lot of their a lot of their firepower as well uh, came from Robertson and, and Alexander Arnold from from wide. They'd switch play. They they put crosses in from wide. Those two fullbacks were getting bombing forward because they knew the two central defenders were steady as a rock at the back, and they could afford to go. And they haven't been. They've been off the game as well, so they haven't been supplying. But but yeah, this time last year, Liverpool were hard to believe. They were twenty five points clear this time last year, and now a little bit different. We'll come back on the other side. Steven Gerrard, we'll talk about him. Just got the first Scottish Premiership title for Rangers FC in a decade. Will he make the jump to the Premier League? We talk about it next. This is the starting 11, 99.1, the sports animal. Looking for children's soccer coaching outside of the club scene? Carroll Sports Academies has been coaching soccer for over 18 years. Their professional coaches keep it fun and build confidence while providing structured classes. Years of experience has helped shape their fun soccer curriculum, which prepares prepares players for competition. Never played before? No problem. Beginners and experienced players are welcome. They truly believe children of any age should receive quality soccer coaching. Check out their website, carolsportsacademies.com. Starting 11, 99.1, the sports animal. Will West, Chris Carroll, top 11 topics in the world of soccer. Uh, moving around a little bit because of the basketball tournaments going on right now. On Thursday night this week, we'll have the podcast ready for you tomorrow morning. 991dsportsanimal.com if you missed the first segment. We're at point number four right now, Chris. There's been a lot of speculation about Steven Gerrard jumping from the Scottish Premiership to the EPL this summer. Which team would be the best fit for the former Liverpool star? You know, I'm not sure. The absolute ideal for Steven Gerrard would be the Liverpool job. But I don't know if that's going to be there for another year or two yet with, with Klopp there and Klopp being so popular in Liverpool. But but I, I think Gerrard might stay stick around for a little bit at Rangers. He's now he's a massive hero. He's a cult hero for Rangers. He's got, he won't have to ever buy a, a meal or a drink in, in Glasgow again because the two, the two fierce rivals in Glasgow are Rangers and Celtic. And uh, if you know Rod Stewart, he's a big Celtic, a big Celtic fan, um, and they've been they've been massive rivals for hundred hundred years or more. Well, Rangers went out of business through bad ownership. They went out of business about 
about five years ago, I think. And they had to start again in, in the lowest tier of Scottish soccer in the third division. And so for 10 years, Celtic have had it had it their own way. Well, nine years. They won nine straight titles. Celtic were going for the big 10th one, which was going to be a big celebration. And Steven Gerrard's come in with no managerial experience. He's, he's prevented that. Rangers have slowly, steadily gone from third tier, second tier, first tier. And, and finally, I mean, they've just blown Celtic away this year and everybody else with them and they've won the title. So they're now in the Champions League, which I think for the first time for years and years, which I think Steven Gerrard will want to have a go at as a, as a head coach, as a manager there. Um, so I, I don't think you'll be in too much of a hurry. It's a massive job. It's not Scottish soccer isn't talked about too much in England. Those two clubs are probably the only two that could compete at the top at the, the top level in England, Celtic and Rangers. And there's been talk about those two breaking away and maybe being accepted into the Premier League. Um, that's the big debate. What league should they go in and should they be allowed to do that? And 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 it may never happen. So. Long story short, I don't think Gerard will go anywhere yet. I think his big fit will, will be Liverpool as and when Klopp moves on. And I think he, he'll have a, a year or two at Rangers in the Champions League because the way Celtic have just... I mean, they Rangers have won the title this year like Liverpool did last year. I think they've won it with, I don't know, 10, 10 games left or so. And they've just blown everybody away. So it looks like Rangers are going to have... could have it their own way for a few years and have a few runs in the Champions League. So uh, Gerard would, would really enjoy that. And with his experience as a player, I could see him doing very, very well. Yeah, the, the one thing I wonder with, with him is that Gerard seems to, whenever he talks about Liverpool, you hear him say, we, 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 us, us, <laughs> us. And it just makes me wonder if for him it's Liverpool or bust, because it's not like he's in a bad spot right now. Point number five, is Mo Salah's time at Liverpool coming to an end? I'm not sure, you know. I don't think so. I know he's been out of form, but... I think the whole team have been off off it. And I think next year they'll go again. They're probably... The one thing we, that we didn't mention as well was the tempo that they play, Liverpool, that they may just well... May all be sort of tired, you know, physically tired, mentally tired. Um, from the year before, they won the, the Champions League. Then they won the Premier League, you know, and this year. And they play fast. They play uh, fast tempo, high press. You know, um, they, they they play a counter-attack as well when they when they win the ball deep. So maybe they're just exhausted and um, he's, he's not been getting the service. There's, there's rumblings with him and Mane being a, being a bit off with each other, but that's been going on for a couple of years now, not passing to each other and that kind of thing. So I don't know if there's something going on there, but I'm not sure. I don't, and I don't think Liverpool will be in particular hurry, but what I, what I have read is that Klopp doesn't want anyone around who doesn't want to be there. So if he, if he doesn't want to be there, I can see him going quickly. It, it seems like maybe it's coming to an end right now. He doesn't seem as motivated, and you're right. Maybe he is just tired, and maybe that's what it is at the end of the day. Um, but he's only scored four goals since December 27th, hasn't had an assist since the 19th of December. That's a long time. Here's my big question, though. He's 29. Not, he's, he's, a, he's a fantastic player. He is. But I can't help but wonder who he would go to and who would spend the kind of money that it would take to pull him away from Liverpool to bring them in when everyone's so cash-strapped right now. Because it seems like where the cash is going to young players, it's not going to guys that are probably in their last two or three years of of being to play at the level and the way that he plays. 
Is he going to be able to do that past 31, 32 years of age? I don't know. And who's coming off of 80 million pounds to be able to bring Salah in, you know, or 80 million euros to bring Salah in? I don't know who that's going to be. Because, again, when they're spending that kind of money, they want a guy that's 22, up to 24, it seems like, for them to come off that kind of cash right now. And especially in a cash-strapped year when you're talking about two seasons that have been affected by COVID, I just wonder who's going to spend that money. They're probably not going to be willing to sell him to a Premier League club. So the Bundesliga, the one team that seems like like Dortmund and Munich seem to Bayern seem to be the two that that have the money to be able to make a move like that, but they like to go after younger players and then sell them on, make a make a profit off of them, and then move on from there. The two Spanish sides that have the most money in Real Madrid and Barcelona are a billion dollars each in debt right now. So that leaves a PSG, PSG in Italy. Those are the two the two options that you kind of have right now that he could possibly be sold to where you could you would get full value for him if you're Liverpool. It makes me think that unless somebody comes through, they're, they're not going to be willing, I don't think, to sell him at a discount. And I don't know that people are going to be willing to pay top dollar for him right now. I think they should, but I don't know that they're going to be willing to with the trend that we're seeing when it comes to these transfer windows lately, Chris. Yeah, you're right, Will. I think they are clubs are investing what money they have got, big money, in, in young players. Uh, for obvious reasons, because the money's tight right now. Um, yeah, I could see him doing well in Italy, fitting in in Italy, and, and and the Spanish game would would certainly suit him. But you're right. I mean, the big, the two big, the big clubs where you naturally think you'd be going, um, Barcelona, Real. They're in massive, they're in huge trouble financially, aren't they? They're looking to offload their their big earners, uh, you know, as we speak. So, yeah, it's a tricky one. So maybe we've got to look, look at the Valencias or the Inter Milans and, you know, who may well take advantage of the struggles of the, of the, big, the, big, um, the bigger clubs like, who, who seem to be struggling at the moment, like your Real Madrid's and, and your Barcelona's. So maybe he, could, you know, maybe he could finish his career or continue his career at that, you know, your Valencia or your, or your Real Madrid or... Do, do you think that he could be the replacement for Messi possibly in Barcelona? Because you're going to have to get, you're, look, they're going to let him walk. We've already seen the president of Barcelona say, hey, you know, we're, we're prepared financially for, for Lionel Messi to leave. Maybe that's the direction they go in is to bring in a star like Salah to play on the outside. Yeah, I could absolutely see him fitting in, in with Barcelona's style. Absolutely, yeah. Um, short, sharp play, suits him down to the ground, a lot of, lot of, lot of passing around the Round the round the box, and uh, and yeah, he it would suit him now. And I'm sure Barcelona, for all the trouble that they they reckon they're in financially, they always seem to come up with some some kind of money, don't they? You know, with from some 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 dealings that they uh, you know that nobody asks too many questions about. So they always they always find money. They never really struggle uh, for for very long. So yeah, I think I think that would suit him, Barcelona, his style of play, absolutely. And it would still be a discount probably for Barcelona from what they were paying Messi so they could pay down some of the debt. But yeah. if you want fans to show up at Barcelona, I mean, you just, for the first time since 06, 07, Barcelona didn't make the quarterfinals of the Champions League. So it's going to be hard to ask your fans to continue to show up and show the support if you're not trying to get to the, back into the at least the quarterfinals of the Champions League, for gosh sakes, which means Messi walks away. You've got to bring in another player. It seems like Salah would be the, the immediate fit there. Uh, point number six right now, given the current financial climate, Chris, do you think we'll have a quiet transfer market this summer as well? Well, I'm not sure it'll be quiet, but I don't think the, the perhaps like we were just 
saying the the fees would be what you'd expect or that what they would have been two years ago. There's rumblings of players moving around like Salah, Traore of Wolves. The Wolves apparently are ready to listen to offers. Haaland, Dortmund. There's talk about him moving wherever he's going to go. Aguero. I mean, Juventus are looking to apparently offload Ronaldo because they're in trouble and they've just gone out the Champions League as well. So I think there'll be there'll be comings and goings. I think it might be quite active actually, but I'm not sure. And there might be a lot of player swapping going on, perhaps involvement in in fees plus a player um, to to get round of the lack of money that way. So it, it sounds like it seems like there's going to going to be a lot of activity. There's certainly a lot of rumblings about it, but perhaps players just not commanding the fees that they would have done. Yeah, I think that may be the issue is that you won't get quite the same fees that you would have seen in the past. Um, also, but because of the names that are available this summer, that's why I think this will be a pretty active window. Now, who's going to spend the money? That's going to be the big question. I think once you see a Chelsea, once you see City, once you see somebody go out and drop some money, I think then you'll see the arms race happen again. But it may start out quiet and then ramp up as the summer goes along. But if, if Cristiano Ronaldo is available, somebody's going to spend money for Cristiano Ronaldo, right? If Lionel Messi is available, someone's going to spend money for Lionel Messi and just go in debt to have Lionel Messi there so they can have Lionel Messi, and that would be awesome. Um, Erling Holland, if somebody needs to go spend 100 million euros this summer to make sure that they, they lock him up for the next decade of his career, they're going to spend 100 million euros if, if that, that's what it takes to pull him away from Dortmund. They're going to spend that money. So Mo Salah is another guy that... If he goes somewhere else, there's going to be a buyer somewhere for him. Christian Pulisic, going back to the Bundesliga, is a possibility right now, according to a lot of people. So I do think that we may see it start quiet, but once you see the big first big domino drop, then other teams are going to say, okay, I'm willing to just, we're going to make money coming up. I know especially the Premier League, they have two more years on this television deal, and then after that, they will make all of the money in the world by creating their own streaming channel. It'll be, you know, between Asia, the U.S., the U.K., everything. They'll still sell the first tier rights. They'll have $10 a month for their own streaming channel, and they're going to be probably cl- close to double what the NFL brings in per year. And at that, so they're, they're going to be willing to go into debt right now to be able to pay it off in a couple of years when they know that that money's coming back and then no fans are going to be back in the stands next fall, things like that. So because of that, I think they will spend, I I, I think that their, their better nature would tell them if right now is not the time to spend but you're going to see such huge names out there. Someone's going to have to go scoop those guys up because they're franchise changing players. Where I do wonder is if we don't see the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and the middle class fall, that there's only going to be an upper class and a lower class. There's not going to be a middle class in the Premier League and in some of these divisions for a little while because I don't know if Wolves can afford to spend that money right now this year. I don't know if Burnley can afford to spend that money. Southampton, if they're going to be able to afford to spend that money. Um, So that will be the interesting thing to see was when it comes to those mid-table teams right now, Chris. Yeah, and you know what? If Wolves do or Burnley do or whatever, the financial fair play will be all over them. But when when... When Barca or Real that or the big one of the big boys, they splash out on, on one of the big players. That's what I mean. That's what I meant earlier on. They'll find the money, no one will ask any questions, and the deal will get done. But you watch when City drops a load of money for Messi, or they'll the financial fair play people will be uh, they'll be all over them. Because like you say, the rich will get richer. That's what they want. They want the rich to get richer and the poor just to stay poor. And they don't want that bridge, they don't want that 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 bridge building. Um yeah, so uh, I think it's going to be tough 
it's going to be tough for those the uh, the, the mid table mid to low lower table teams in the Premier League. I think the big boys will still they'll do the business. That's Chris Carroll. I'm Will West. We'll come back with the starting eleven. Point number seven is where we're at right now. Newcastle, Brighton, Fulham are separated by a point right now for their final relegation spot. Which team is most likely to be relegated? We break it down next. Starting 11, 99-1, the sports animal. Yeah, it's from national underground, thunderbounds when I stop the ground. Like a million elephants, a silverback, a Starting 11, 99.1, the sports animal, Will West, Chris Carroll, top 11 topics in the world of soccer. Uh, show's kind of bounced around right now because of the uh, the basketball tournament, so pay attention to social media. We'll keep you updated where the show's going to be. Of course, once basketball season is over, we will be back on Wednesday nights. We're at point number seven right now, Chris. Newcastle, Brighton, Fulham, separated by just a point for the final relegation spot. Which of the teams is most likely to be relegated, in your opinion? <laughs> this is... It's the million-dollar question. This has made a mug of me already about a month ago. I was confident Fulham was Fulham were going down, and that and that was it. The, the, the job was done. Now, Fulham have put a run together. They're looking solid. They've just beaten Liverpool away at Liverpool. And I've got to say that I fancy them to stay, <laughs> to stay up now. So, they're confident. They've, and and what, they, what, what Fulham have done, they've... they've They've shored up the defence big time. They conceded just seven goals in ten in the last ten games, which is which is huge. And they can they're just eking out one nils, you know. And they might not be scoring loads, but if the defence is solid, it doesn't half make a difference. Newcastle, in contrast, they conceded seventeen in the last ten, you know. And and, and they've been play, they've been hit by big injuries to the creative players, Wilson, Almiron, and some Sam Maximan have just just gone out for a few weeks. So Newcastle look like they're in the most trouble with the run they're on. Brighton, tough to call. Brighton played, I think they played Crystal Palace not too long ago. They lost to Palace. Brighton create that Brighton had 23 shots. Palace had two, I think it was, and Palace won 2-1. So Brighton are still creating. They're just not putting the chances away. So I think Brighton are gonna get away with it. I think Fulham are gonna get away with it. And I can see Newcastle now. The, the, the turmoil seems to be with Newcastle at the moment. And there's only 10 games left. And they're running out of time to turn that around. So, But they've got a game in hand on Fulham as well. And they're still, they're still ahead of them. So it's really tricky to call. The next week or two weeks' time, I might be saying, oh, Brighton are going down. And that's you know, the other two are fine. But uh, it's make, making a mug of many a, many a person trying to predict this Premier League season this year. But... Now, if uh, if I've got to say now, Fulham are good, Brighton are good, Newcastle are down. Yeah, look, Brighton hasn't scored multiple goals in a Premier League match since January 2nd. It's been one or none for for Brighton the entire year in 2021 so far. And we're mid-March at this point. So that's got to be problematic for Graham Potter. I mentioned to you off the air, uh, you know, the second that I, that I ripped Graham Potter, he'll, he'll roll out three straight wins again. So uh, he'll have five points in the next three matches, and I'll look like a big fool. But, um, <laughs> but here's my biggest concern. Fulham, their road is so tough ahead for them. They have they have City, Leeds, Villa, Wolves, Arsenal, Chelsea between now and May 1st. I'll say that again. City, Leeds, Villa, Wolves, Arsenal, Chelsea between now and May 1st. And then it, it comes down, I think, to the end of the season, Newcastle versus Fulham. On it's it's May 23rd. That's the last match of the year for those two teams. I think the loser of that match is going to get relegated, and I think it's going to be Fulham. I think Newcastle's going to figure out a way to do this. We Ooh. did talk about this during the January transfer window, Chris, that 
if you're Burnley, if you're Newcastle, don't just spend just a little bit of money over that transfer window. Just make sure you stay up, right? And just make sure you stay up to, to make sure, you know, Fulham's the team that's going down. You're not the team that's going down. They didn't spend money. And now, man, if Newcastle goes under as big of a club as that is that is it could be, if Newcastle's the team that goes down, goodness gracious, there is going to be a bloodletting, I think, in that area. Oh, yeah, there will be. There will. If Newcastle go down, there'll be uh, those fans up there. It's a little bit like we we're talking about the Rangers fans uh, and Celtic fans um, up north. In the northeast, Newcastle, so passionate. As as all fans are, but the Newcastle are, are so passionate and they're, they're they're desperate for some for success. So yeah, that the money hasn't been spent too wisely. They have, like I said earlier on, they have um, been unlucky the last couple of weeks with with injuries again to uh, Wilson and the crea- they're creative three players really. Fulham, I've just got a feeling for Fulham. And the reason I say Fulham might escape, I'm not that confident, to be honest with you. I wouldn't put my house on (laughs) any of these predictions. But they're just getting confidence at the right time. And and they seem to be be a happy bunch playing. And, you know, when you look at the the body language on the field, it looks good. And, of course, why wouldn't it when you've just beaten Liverpool? But they just seem to be getting it right. They're on a run. And... um, Newcastle seem to be in all sorts of turmoil. Yeah, and it's you know you hear the you hear the phone-ins and you hear the the, the reports about Newcastle and the, and the state of the northeast and those fans really aren't happy. And, and yeah, they they could have spent more perhaps. They they want a new owner. They're in big trouble if they do go down. Yeah, they'll be uh, it'll be a big mess. All right, point number eight, Chris. We had the Manchester Derby last weekend. We get North London Derby this weekend. Right now, what's the best rivalry in the EPL? It's a tough one, this. I mean, there's, there's, there are a, a few rivalries or, or derby games, you know, like Liverpool-Man United. That's a big one. That's a big rivalry. And it's, and it's a big day for fans. And you can, and you can sense when, when the stadiums are full, which they always are for Liverpool-Man United, Spurs-Arsenal, um, you can, you can, the atmosphere is unbelievable. But I think it, because of no fans in there, it's taking away the the impact of, of the game and what it means. Now, a lot of these players, they haven't been around these clubs for that long. You know, maybe it's the first year, second year at a club. And and they're playing a, they're playing a team from down the road. It, it means nothing to these players, quite frankly, other than what they've been told. Now, when you've got a full stadium, those fans in the stadium, they've got years, decades invested in this rivalry. So they bring the passion and they bring what, what derby games bring, you know, and what they mean. So I think that they've been affected. But for me, at the moment, and you still sense it, and I've gone a long way around to get to the answer of which one I think is the biggest one at the moment, is the Liverpool-Everton game, the Merseyside derby. And you could tell it meant so much to Everton to to beat Liverpool the other day. First time at Anfield, they'd won away, away at Liverpool since 1999. And I mean, there was no one there to see it. No Everton fans. Liverpool fans are probably happy they weren't there to see it. But you know, it's it it, it just wasn't the same. But I think for, for me, that Merseyside derby, that Liverpool Everton, is so passionate, and um, that for me is the biggest one. Uh, but you watch when you watch one normally on television, whether it's Spurs or Arsenal, that's massive. You can just hear the crowd. You can they they bring the atmosphere, and it's a shame at the moment, of course. 
it's, you know, it's, there's a lot of things that that, that that it's a shame about with this thing going on. At least they're playing, but their derbies just aren't what they aren't what they used to be um, because the crowd who have got so much invested in these derbies aren't in the stadium. Yeah, for me, it's a, it's a Manchester derby, but again, I haven't been there to be able to see it. So I, I thought that you'd be able to speak to that a lot more than I would. Uh, it just seems like those two teams are up. Right now, Arsenal... There's there's heat there, but Arsenal's a little irrelevant um, right now. Everton's not incredibly relevant. So from just an overall national, just looking at the, the the league as a whole standpoint, it seems like there's always skin in the game a little bit when you talk about the Manchester Derby. So I'll roll with that one. Point number nine, Chris, target man. One player you're targeting to have a big match week this weekend. Well, I think Everton lost to Chelsea last weekend. They'll be looking to get back on track because they're still in with a shout of top, certainly top six, possibly top four, and and they're at home to Burnley um, this coming weekend. Dominic Calvert-Lewis, he hasn't scored for over a month now, not in the league anyway. And the last time he scored was in a 3-3 draw with Man United. Now, Richarlison, he's, he's, he's birdie up front. He's been on fire. He's been scoring all the goals. So... I'll be looking for Everton to, uh, and I fancy Everton for a top six finish, possibly a top four as well now. Um, and I, I, so I'm looking for Dominic Calvert Lewin to have a have a get big game this this weekend. Yeah, I'll actually go Shea Adams against Brighton this weekend. There's no Danny Ings. That injury looked tough for Danny Ings. He wasn't there in the match against Man City, um, and so it's just. I don't know, a, a, a truckload of teammates trying to feed Shea Adams, hoping that he can make a play for them or possibly they can get something off of a set piece. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, that That's a that's a possibility as well with Prowse. So, uh, but Shea Adams is going to have opportunities. And whenever I start looking at who's going to be the target band and who's going to have opportunities, Brighton is going to give up opportunities to an opposing team. Uh, it's weird with Brighton because they play hard and they, they do have chances like you mentioned before. But, man, they, they have not made the most of those chances recently, but they do give up chances as well. Uh, Southampton needs a get-right game. Shea Adams is capable, but there are times when you look at Shea Adams and you think, oh, man, that guy's going to be a fantastic striker for years. And then you look, see other times that he just seems to disappear for two or three match spans at a time. This week, I think you get sh- good Shea Adams. I think he's going to have to score for them to be able to beat Brighton this weekend. I think that Southampton does beat Brighton, and I think that Shea Adams is going to be able to get a goal. We'll come back on the other side. Final segment of the starting 11, 99.1, the sports animal. Looking for children's soccer coaching outside of the club scene? Carroll Sports Academies has been coaching soccer for over 18 years. Their professional coaches keep it fun and build confidence while providing structured classes. Years of experience has helped shape their fun soccer curriculum, which prepares players for competition. Never played before? No problem. Beginners and experienced players are welcome. They truly believe children of any age should receive quality soccer coaching. Check out their website, carolsportsacademies.com. Final segment of the starting 11, Will West, Chris Carroll with you. Top 11 topics in the world of soccer. Uh, usually every Friday night, we'll be back to Wednesday night after the basketball season is over. <coughs> We're on Thursday nights right now as Tennessee's going to play this Friday. As basketball season goes along between uh, the men's team and the Lady Vols, we're just kind of going to bounce around through the week. So check us out on social media. You'll find out when the show is, uh, is going to be going on. Chris Carroll is Carroll Sports Academy's FC National. Chris, if you don't mind, tell the listeners a little about yourself. Yes. Hey, Will. Um, well, we got to Knoxville. I've been coaching, playing and coaching and a, and a soccer fan for, well, all my life. 
and arrived in Knoxville about nine years ago and we set up Carol Sports Academies, myself and, and my wife, and that's a recreational program for children ages, ages three to 10. Um, during the lockdown last year, uh, set up a, a competitive club just to sort of um, complete the progression of, of, of soccer, um, a, a soccer development for children. And that's for ages eight to 18, that, that FC National. And um, we're thrilled with that. I set that up with a buddy called Laurie Dudfield, who's a former professional player, played 300 games in the Premier League in England, played for Leicester City, Hull City. And so we've now got the progression. We've got spring season coming for Carroll Sports Academies. That's carrollsportsacademies.com. If you're interested in, in, in recreational soccer for your three to 10 year old, we'd love to see you. And if you're interested in, in the um, competitive side of the game, eight to 18, Tryouts coming out coming up in, in May, and we'd love to uh, we'd love to talk to you about that as well. And that's um, that's um, fcnational.org is a website there, and we'd love to hear from you also. Point number ten right now, Chris. Should Europe cancel the March international break as so many in the sport have suggested right now? You know, I'm normally I'm normally one for going. Oh, let's get on with it, and 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 being optimistic that everything will turn out okay and 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 get get on with it and we'll all be good but i think we should cancel this one yeah I, I i think there's too much to lose we could if it all goes wrong we could lose the end of the season here we could lose the end of the premier league i mean they've they've sort of looked after this season so closely and being so careful with with monitoring the players and what have you and with players going all over the world um, it's not just within Europe, but all all over South America. Apparently, I hear Brazil now is an absolute mess with with COVID. Um, it could just damage everything. We've got the end of the season. We've got Champions League, Europa League competitions to put in jeopardy, and we've got the Euros and, and World Cup qualifying and, and everything. I think there's just too much to lose at this point. I think it wouldn't be wise. I haven't seen a single pundit or former player former manager, former owner of a team, say that this one should be played. Literally no one in the sports seemingly thinks this needs to be played, except for the people who are making the decision about whether this international window break needs to be played. So you're right. I mean, there, there is too much to lose. And what's to be gained legitimately? How much is there really to be gained right now? South America just canceled this week, right? So they just said, no, we're not going to do the international window this week. Smart move, I think, on their part. And so the right now to be the one continent for the most part that takes soccer incredibly seriously that you're going to be the one that that goes out and, and plays when you there, there's not a ton to be gained from it i think when it comes to covid that's one of the things we have to look at risk reward right what's the what's the reward with this what's the risk the, re, the reward is you don't have the 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 risk of maybe having to have a two-week break to the season or something like that or finishing up these last 10 matches where some of the top players in the, in the game aren't out there for three or four matches or something like that. Maybe even more if they actually get COVID instead of just contact tracing. So yeah, th there is no upside in my opinion, Chris, to, to playing this one right now. And it seems like you just have so much to lose that I don't understand why you would roll the dice on that for this one international break in the middle of March. Point number 11, Chris, your match of the week, your upset pick of the week. Uh, my match of the week, whenever I see Leeds and Chelsea playing, it always takes me back every time without fail to that to that 19, and I've talked about it before, that 1970 FA Cup final. It was absolutely brutal. It was, and it, and it was recently re-refereed. And 
by Michael Oliver. He says he would have issued 11 red cards. <laughs> and, and, and at one point, Norman Hunter and Ian Hutchinson were trading punches. I mean, there was tackles coming in waist height. And on the day, one yellow card was given. And it was absolutely... And, and Michael Oliver made an observation, and I'm, I'm kind of digressing a little bit here, but Michael Oliver made an observation. He said, when players were getting cut down, knee high or waist high, they were just hopping back up. They weren't rolling, rolling, rolling on the ground and staying down. They weren't screaming. They weren't all appealing. They weren't all running around to the referee and, and you know, in a mob like they do now. He said it was just a, a completely different game. So whenever I see Leeds and Chelsea, it takes me back to that. Um, just for the record, Chelsea did win the replay um, 2-1. Upset of the week. I got, I got West Ham upset in Man United. We were talking earlier on about Manchester United being kind of unpredictable. They've had the big, big win against City and I can see them just taking the foot off the gas. West Ham playing so well at the moment, solid, nothing too fancy and frilly, but, they, but they're getting it done and, and they're, they're right up there. They've got a game in hand on Man United and if they beat them, that could really close things up. So, yeah, I got West Ham. West Ham, Man United is the upset of the week. I'm going to say the North London Derby, and part, part of that is probably selfishly it's the North London Derby, as Tottenham's going to probably break my heart against Arsenal coming up this weekend. Um, upset of the week, Southampton's actually an underdog right now against Brighton. Minus 190 is the number that you can get on that one. That is $100 bet, win $190 if that if that happens. So they're, they're the slight underdog, it seems like, against Brighton this weekend. I did not see... That being the case, so or excuse me, plus one ninety. I apologize, plus one ninety. So it's a hundred dollar bet. You win one hundred ninety bucks. I think Southampton beats them this weekend. Now Southampton looks terrible, and uh, Shea Adams has been bad. Shea Adams, but I think we get good Shea Adams this weekend. I think that they're going to be humbled a little bit. That's a well-run team. Southampton is a well-managed team, and I think that they were humbled against Manchester City. You'll see a bounce back, and I think you'll see a bounce back against a Brighton team that isn't particularly good. So give me Southampton plus one ninety against Brighton coming up this weekend. Chris, fantastic as always, doing the show with you, sir. Yeah, cheers, Will. It's been fun again. Thanks, mate. Uh, we'll be back next week starting 11, 99.1, the Sports Analyst.